My guest today has won the love of audiences around the world. He's been called a Welsh national treasure and one of the most charismatic and electrifying performers in Britain. His career spans 30 years, 32 albums and thousands of live performances of music that speaks to the soul. Alison Hilliard and welcome to The Word on Things Unseen, the series where we invite our guests to talk about their lives through the lens of their favourite passages from the Bible. Each of their choices will be read by the actor David Suchet. My guest is, of course, the singer and songwriter Martin Joseph. Martin, you're very welcome to The Word. Thanks, Alison. Nice to be here. Martin, you've said that spirituality seeps through your songs like a flooded field. What do you mean by that? I've always been known as a bit of a godbother, and that started out when I first started writing songs in a fairly simplistic way, I suppose. You can only see life from where you stand, and I went to a, a church youth group when I was about 16 years old, and you got to play football there, and there were girls there. But if you wanted to go and play for the football team, you had to go to church 10 Sundays in a row. It was a big con job, really. So that was probably my first expression in terms of when I, was, I began to write songs in my teenage years. And so I was writing about something that was fairly simplistic and perhaps that I didn't grasp. And so as I've grown on my journey, my songs have grown, my writing has grown. I'm not very good at pretending, so therefore I write about what I see and what I feel. And though through the years my music has gone through various lives, as it were, that theme of spirituality and that longing for the understanding of there must be more, or hopefully there's more, whatever it might be, prevails within the themes of the writing. In, in a sense, the songs are questions, where well, they used to be answers, but those questions are often related to um, what's this all about. So at its heart, are they all spiritual questions? I've never been one content with the, um, you know, 75 years, if you're lucky, and then that's it. So faith for me, it wasn't a big Damascus Road thing or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, I, I think there must be more, therefore I'm going to go down that line. It was I, I never didn't have that sense of belief or a bigger picture. Let's turn to the first reading that you've chosen today. It's from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 11 and verses 2 to 5. When John who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Why have you chosen these verses, Martin? I chose them in a slightly ironic way. Back in around about 1987-1988, I was asked by a relief organisation to go to Thailand, actually, to observe some of their work in some of the slums in Bangkok City and some of the leprosy colonies, stuff like this. And it was the first time that I actually sat with powerless people. And going back to what we just said earlier, it was the first time when I realised that I really didn't have many answers at all. I thought I had, but I didn't, because when I sat with these people, there was nothing I could say. 
and I realized that something was happening. There was a stirring going on that I wasn't going to be able to go back home and sing those same songs. At the same time, my path crossed with a gentleman by the name of John Smith, who was a Methodist minister from Australia, who spoke at the Greenbelt Festival in the UK. And he spoke on this passage. And he said that at the time when John was riding the hit parade, as he put it out there, telling people that Christ was coming and he's going to be amazing and I'm not fit to tie his sandals and all that sort of stuff, John was on good form. But later on, we find him in prison and... Um, John sort of said that he basically had this crisis of identity because John the Baptist says to his followers, is this the Jesus going to find out? And so they go and ask. And Jesus sort of said, tell him this is happening, that's happening. And then they go away. And it's only then that he turns to the crowd and says, actually, John's a very cool guy. He's an amazing guy, um, et cetera, et cetera. But he doesn't give that benefit to the followers so they don't actually go and report back to John and give him that Jesus says you're cool, as it were. And John Smith stated within this passage he had three things that he wanted to ask God when he got to heaven. One was why women had been so badly treated on the planet. Secondly, why black people had been so badly treated on the planet. And thirdly, why Jesus didn't go and visit John the Baptist in prison. He said, it sucks. He should have done. It's not fair. Now, this was very different to my Baptist church upbringing back in South Wales. Here was someone kind of opening the the word up, as it were, but also running questions to the heavens and saying, well, hang on a sec, that's not fair, you know. And through meeting John and hearing more of his um, undercover work and scripture there, it sort of opened me up to the fact that um, it's okay to not understand everything. He said that you can only be disillusioned if you suffer from an illusion. And he felt that a lot of the uh, theology that was being preached at the time or taken was actually not in the book in the first place, and we're given something to expect that we shouldn't expect. And he was using that passage to illustrate that, that life really isn't fair all the time, and just because you sign up to a set of beliefs or whatever it means, it doesn't mean you're going to be protected, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be um, anything like plain sailing. Would we see that sense of the importance of asking questions in some of your work? I'm thinking of songs like Thunder and Rainbows. Absolutely. You won't see many answers in my work, for sure. Um, <laughs> though I'm always encouraging people to keep going and what have it. I think that a long time ago, the world became full colour and not black and white for me. And so songs like Thunder and Rainbows are saying that we have this great blessing and yet there is this great disparity in the world, you know, the break between light and darkness. And so many people suffer within that darkness. So, yeah, questioning is a big part of the theme of my work. Intricate mysteries, life's secret codes Cul-de-sac signposts on yellow brick roads For me, it was about social justice. That's how I began to raise those questions. For me, it, it felt like my job as an artist was to highlight, at that time, the causes that I could see and to try and channel this newfound sort of... I don't know what to call it, really, Alison. Um, some might say a liberalism. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I stepped out of that kind of narrow view of Christianity, if you like. Would you call that a journey of faith? Um, certainly. I think it's a journey. I think faith for me is not a, about a destination, a place we arrive at. It's about a constant awakening, a constant rediscovering of the mystery and the fact that we actually don't know very much at all. Hence the word faith. Faith is not 
about answers. It's about not understanding something, but kind of going with it anyway. I have faith in it, so I'm going to go with it. So that sort of came out with me in kind of a, I suppose, in an angry way, too. A slight anger that I'd sort of grasped something that, that I think was a, a very narrow view of what God may or may not be, and that I'd sort of parked that within me and thought, oh, that's it, that's fine, that's good. And really that came from me coming from a fairly comfortable position, you know, I'd been loved as a kid, middle-class family, etc. I hadn't known much of the suffering of, of the world. And when I began to see that, when I began to feel those contradictions, it didn't add up. And I went to Thailand, I, I sat with those palace people, came across John at Greenbelt, and suddenly there was this uh, perfect storm, as it were. How did that challenge your view of God? I don't think it challenged my view of God as such. It just rearranged my view of the people that followed him in the sense of what was being said and how people expect or want you to be. I felt like, for me, a whole heavy weight was taken off my shoulders. It was a letting go of dogma that tends to weigh you down and make you less useful in the world. Has that left you in an uncomfortable place with traditional Christianity then? Very much so, yeah. I find the actual word Christian fairly unhelpful, to be honest. I'm often asked in interviews, so are you a Christian? I usually say, well, it depends what you mean by that and how long you've got. I feel like the word has been hijacked by, I, I tour the States a lot, and the right wing uh, of politics over there is often governed by an underbelly of fundamental Christianity that for me is very bigoted, it's very judgmental, etc., etc. But the problem is if I were to say, well, I am a Christian or whatever, then people lump you in with that because those people make the most noise. That's what people hear. So when people think of Christianity as such, they will see the loudmouth evangelist or whatever it is or that person that judged them the other day. And so I just find it unhelpful in terms of portraying anything of a reasonable faith, a reasonable spirituality, it tends to just really uh, marginalise. And uh, that's not what I'm trying to do with my art form or my life, really. Let's come back to that difficulty of labels in a moment, but let's have your next reading, if we may, and it's the Beatitudes from Mm. the Gospel of St Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the Gospel of St Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Why have you chosen that particular passage from Matthew? 
I think for me, Alison, this is my favourite piece. It's just such beautiful poetry. <laughs> Even in preparing for this uh, little talk we're having today, you know, I have to confess that the Bible is not a book I pick up every day and read. Maybe I'm scared of it these days, but I, I know that the Beatitudes has always been uh, something I've just been drawn to. I think it's a manifesto for the poor and the broken. I think it's all there, everything that I need to hear. Is there a particular group that you would most identify with? Sometimes it's translated, isn't it, as happy or the poor in spirit, mm. and, and perhaps there's a, a search for blessing or, or true mm. happiness there. I don't think it's about true happiness. I'm not sure that the word blessed means true happiness as such. Uh, but I like the poor in spirit and those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I am an upbeat, positive, happy guy. I really am, but I retain the right to be sad. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, you, you might feel too much or you look too sad about something, but uh, I'm happy to be sad about something. It makes me feel alive. When I, the odd tear comes, those tears mean I'm alive and I'm feeling things. And there is that sense for me that the talk of God comforting those who are sad, those who are broken, those who are poor in spirit, it certainly speaks to me every time I read it. It, it gets me emotional. It gets me fired up. I mean, if I were to... I don't, but if I were feeling a, a little tired before a show one night and uh, I needed to uh, get some inspiration, I could listen to Bruce Springsteen, but I could also read that, and it would put fire in my belly, as we say in Wales. <laughs> you talked about a, a God that supports those on the margins, that identifies those on the margins. Um, I know you're... Th- third reading, the Gospel of St John, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, tells the story of the woman caught in adultery. Mm. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's the Gospel of St John, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, and a very powerful story. Yes, it's, um, I mean, what a scene. It's incredible, isn't it? The sexist mob bring the woman caught in adultery. It's great drama, and Jesus is just sat there on the ground. And uh, I love the fact that he does this thing. Goodness knows what he drew, whether it was just a pattern or something or whatever it was. But um, I love the fact that he doesn't even say anything for a while. He just makes them wait there and calm down. So there's all that drama going on. But the beauty of it, the incredible wisdom of it, these people who have the law on their side, the law in inverted commas, 
people of faith love their rules. The law says we should stone her, and, and he says, okay, um, and how many of you have not done the same thing? And at least they're honest enough to walk away and drop their stones and go back to their, uh, wherever they came from. And then the beautiful reunion at the end where he says there's no one left to accuse you, so it's okay. Have you often felt judged by people because you don't fit into their box of saying, yes, I am a Christian and I mm. behave in this way? Yeah, occasionally. I get the most sort of uh, <laughs> criticism I, I've ever got is not from mainstream music. It came from the uh, uh, a Christian perspective. I even had a death threat once in the States, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but it comes from people who... Um, say they act on behalf of Jesus or whatever. But yeah, there was that, especially when I had built up quite a following of people that liked my music because I was proclaiming answers and it was very positive. And I think um, I lost a lot of people at that point. Some people didn't understand. I wrote a song in 10 minutes once called Liberal Backslider because someone said, you're a liberal backslider. I said, okay, let's write a song about that. And that became a bit of an anthem for what I would call spiritual refugees everywhere who still have faith, but they don't know how to plug in necessarily to that every Sunday thing. I'm a liberal backslider. I've been sliding about 10 years. People ask me how I'm doing and I come from all their fears. I'm swearing like a trooper and I'm drinking like a bomb. I'm a liberal backslider and it sure is a lot of fun. So, yeah, there has been a little bit of criticism, but it's, um, I kind of laugh at it. I, is that what the death threat was over, that you were seen as betraying the Christian uh, faith? That was me criticising George Bush at a, the Calgary Folk Festival in the UK. At, um, they have a Sunday morning kind of gospel slot, which is primarily a... It's not devout in any way, but they sing gospel songs. And I got up and uh, the Iraq war was happening at the time. And uh, I said some things that um, a Christian in the audience didn't like and uh, said, I'm going to take you out at your next gig. Does that mean that you're in an uncomfortable place as a person of faith these days? Um, I think sometimes slap banging in the middle of a contradiction is not a bad place to be. There's a the beautiful scene in the film Chariots of Fire where uh, I think it's Eric Little as the um, the runner and he's going off to be a missionary in China and his fiance wants him to go and not run in the Olympics and um, they're on a beach somewhere I don't know and she's trying to persuade him to go and, and he turns away from her and looks out to sea and he says when I run I feel his pleasure and I get that sense of whatever he feels maybe well, once a year twice here occasionally you know often it's in somewhere in a broken part of the world whatever it might be and in those moments there is a confirmation that for me is enough but I'm not comfortable in a place where people proclaim something that they believe to be the absolute and if you two go this way you can have it and this is the only way etc that's just not where I'm comfortable anymore is there a sense of that in your music too, a sense that you shouldn't judge others or seek to label them or, or easily box them? And I think of a song like of yours like Let Yourself, where the, the lyrics go, if it's falling apart, if you're drifting away, let yourself quietly be drawn by the stronger call of what you really are. Mm. That's an old roomy poem, actually, that line. I kind of lifted it from him. But, yeah, I'm drawn to the stories of those on the edges of things who don't fit. I've said for many years that the job of a good song is to remind you that you're not alone in the world, whether it's a stained-glass window, a poem, ice cream on a kid's face on a summer. Good art says 
there's a bigger picture. And so that's what I'm about. And I'm happy to tell anyone that in whatever situation they're in. Picking up on the title of that song, Let Yourself, I know in 2014 you launched the Let Yourself Trust, I suppose a charity that in some way embodied what you believe and and Mm. tried to put that on a practical footing. Tell us a little bit about that trust and why you called it Let Yourself. I played a a festival in Palestine, in the West Bank, in the uh, Ada refugee camp, and after nine days of being there, I was so sad and so cross. And I found this children's theatre there, and a gentleman called Abed ran it, and he gives young people that a positive means of expression by through the arts. He brings in musical instruments and, and beautiful things. And I, and I said to Abed, he had his four-year-old daughter in his arms, and I said, Abed, I don't know how you do this, because I'm leaving here tomorrow, and you can't. You have this wall around you that says this is your life. No, no grass, no libraries, no swimming pools, nothing, just this compression and oppression. How do you do it? And he said to me that, uh, he said, Martin, if all I do is get sad or angry, I give her no hope for her future, his daughter, and I don't have the luxury of despair. And I knew two things at one that One, I had the title of a song, because <laughs> you'll never lose that antenna. But secondly, I knew I wanted to help him in some way, and I thought I've got this loyal audience. So I started to talk about the issues for six months, and then we raised money, and we just gave it towards the children's theatre. And we thought, well, let's this works, let's do it. And... Um, I wanted a title that fitted in with the theme of one of my songs. The song itself is about telling people that love wins in the end, that we can, even from the smallest and severest situations, we can still bring hope. And I can think of nothing more helpless right now than those folk behind that wall in Palestine. And um, we support grassroots projects, not big guys. It's often a husband and wife who have a vision for something and you know, no money gets wasted, so that's what we do. We talk about what they're on about for six months and then we give them all the money. We're on our sixth project now. We've gone Guatemala, Africa, uh, Canada, Wales. Sometimes it's political, sometimes it's not. And so I'm asking those who give us the money to trust me, and they do, which is a great thing, let yourself trust. So it just there was a number of ways that the, the song kind of uh, thought that summed up the ethos of what we were trying to do. Yeah. That leads us into our final reading, mm. which is the story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of St Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The story of the prodigal son from the Gospel of St Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Who do you identify with then in that story? I identify with both those sons. The younger son, I've been there. I've been out in the world trying to make sense of my own sins and um, have felt the need to return home and say, I'm sorry, looking for a miracle. And sometimes that miracle is, is not what you expect. Nevertheless, it's still some form of miracle. But I can also identify with the older son there, kind of judgmental and thinking, well, hang on, I deserve better than this. I've been working very hard, etc., etc." So I can identify with both of those sons. As an aside, I wrote a, a song called Clara a few years ago on an album called Songs for the Coming Home. And it was a true story about a liberal theologian called Morton Kelsey, who was born as a breech birth in the 1900s in Palmerton, Pennsylvania, to a mother who immediately gave him up. She wouldn't hold him or anything. And a 14-year-old black girl called Clara raised him for the first three years of his life. He was taken away from her rather cruelly after those three years. He had no knowledge of her in his life. He went from foster home to foster home. But at the age of about 18 or 19, had had enough and decided to take his life went out into the desert with some means of doing that. And as he lay there in the desert, this melody came into his head. He describes it later on as the overwhelming sense of the love of God. But it was enough to sort of prick his conscience and think, I wonder what this is. And he, he walked out and didn't kill himself and got some help. Eventually he met a woman and began to write and married her and became a conduit for helping a lot of people on the margins of faith, especially in the States, thousands of people. And um, he gets a, a letter in his 77th year from this woman who's 91 in a nursing home saying, are you the Morton Kelsey that was born in Palmerton, Pennsylvania? If you are, I need to see you. So he makes this trip. My friend took him to the old people's home where Clara was there, never had any children of her own. And um, she saw him and said, it's you, it's you, put her hands on his face. And they went off into the corner and they sat all day, my friend said, and he was laughing and... She showed him pictures of him as a little boy hiding behind her leg. And it was like, he talked later and said it was like he got his childhood back, he, that he had actually known love, even though those three years were not known to him. It began to open up memory for him. But as he was leaving, 
Clara turned to him and said, before you go, can I sing for you? Because I used to sing for you. So she sang, and of course it was the melody that had come to him. He'd heard it before. And as I said, that song that doesn't let you go, that need to return back to some place of love where we're safe, etc., etc., that too is that a common theme for me. And so I feel that. I feel the need to uh, realize that um, I'm not really all that good and I, I need that sense of grace. And, um, and I can be as judgmental and as uh, up myself as the, uh, as the older brother, but um, I want to be the, uh, I want to be the uh, younger son in the father's arms, really. That's really where I belong. Martin Joseph, thank you very much for being our guest today on, on The Word. It's my pleasure. And I know you've brought your guitar in. It's too good an opportunity to miss. So could I ask you to play us out in a song and tell us which song you've chosen? Well, let's do Let Yourself, as we talked about that a little bit. So it's been my pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Well, I look forward to hearing that. I'm Alison Hilliard, and you've been listening to The Word on Things Unseen, the platform for people who think there's more to life than the purely material. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. I need you brave, I want you brave, I need you strong to sing along. You are beautiful, and I'm not wrong. And even today, this timeline, it is fine. Enough for us to find that path ahead and let the whole thing roll on. But if you're drifting away, if you're falling apart Just let yourself Be quietly drawn by the stronger call Of what you really love Just let your soul The one that you've brought with you safe To this moment in time Let it whisper to your fears And wrestle with the noise of the night for you If we could just step outside and look at ourselves for one moment we might see there's a different way that we can be And don't expect to find all the answers of this world Cause if you could somehow and then you did tell me Who would you be? But if you are drifting away if you're falling apart Just let yourself Be quietly drawn by the stronger call Of what you really love Come on, let your soul The one that you've brought with you Safe to this moment in time Let it whisper to your fears Let it wrestle with the noise of the night for you And in the midst of these moments It is like we've never left But there's a lifetime of returning And we're not home yet This isn't home yet Aren't you brave? I need you strong to sing along Cause you are beautiful and for once I'm not wrong When you
you can bring it on world throw everything cause in the end love wins big and there are some of us with no intention of lying down but if you're drifting away if you're falling apart that's alright you just let By the stronger call of what you really love Just let your soul It's the one that you brought with you safe To this moment To this moment in time Let it whisper to your fears And wrestle with the noise of the night Let it whisper to your fears And wrestle with the noise of your night. <laughs> 